The first Bible reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. Uh, in the chair Bibles, I think it's page 850, I've got the big print Bible, 1891. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock, that in under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. reading is Psalm, Psalm 37, should be found on page 388 on the Bible, and page 872 on the larger print. Psalm 37, verse 1 to 9. <clears throat> do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither, and like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For those who, do, for those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. Um, got my next announcement. Well, I've got to add to the announcements. Um, no, I actually don't have any. Uh, but if you could open your Bible to uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, that would be really great. Uh, we are coming to the end of our series looking at 1 Peter, and uh, it's, I hope you've enjoyed the ride. It's been, I've really enjoyed it. Um, but let me pray for us as we get going.
Dear Father, we want to thank you for, for this passage of Scripture. We thank you for um, the things that we've learnt from Peter. Um, Lord, we pray that you would be with us again as we look at the final passage in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, that you would help us to have hearts and minds that are open and ready to hear you speak. Pray for myself, Lord, that you would help my voice to get through um, and that you would uh, work uh, through me uh, to encourage us to serve you all the more this week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been looking through 1 Peter over the last uh, couple of months, and I hope you have enjoyed it. Uh, 1 Peter is one of my favourite books, and um, I love coming back to it. Um, There's so much gold in there. Uh, It's so encouraging. Peter certainly wants to encourage us. There's lots of things we've been reminded about, the good things that God given us. So he's reminded us of the living hope that we have, um, the way that God refines us, refines our faith through our trials. Um, We've been reminded that we've been purchased by... Uh, the blood of Christ. Um, we've been reminded that we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. Um, and we've been given the example of Christ. We've been reminded a number of times about Jesus and how he's an example for us to follow, but also gives us great assurance that he's with us in the midst of suffering. So it's been a book full of comfort, uh, but it's also been a book that's full of challenge. One of the things I love about this book is it doesn't, it's not just um, Peter wrapping his arm around us and saying, there, there, everything will be fine. Um, he actually has some, some challenges for us. And so uh, we've been encouraged or challenged to be holy, just like God is holy, to love each other deeply, to crave pure spiritual milk, to declare God's praises, to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. We've been challenged to submit to authorities um, and to live such good lives amongst the people of the world that they will see our good deeds and glorify God. There's been lots of challenge here in this book. It's a very practical, practical book. And today's chapter is no different. Um, Peter wants to end up, often the last chapter of books that are a little bit random, the way they hold together. Um, it's kind of last thoughts they want to get down before the papyrus runs out. But um, uh, Peter has two big qualities that he wants that are important for the Christian life. Um, and there are two qualities that initial kind of sight might seem um, to contradict each other. He wants us to develop humility and boldness. Humility and boldness. Um, so we'll see why, why, what I mean about that. But uh, let's, let's start off by thinking about humility. Um, I don't know how you feel about humility, Um when I was uh, at high school, I had a mathematics teacher, Mr. Wells, who I had for a number of years. And one of the things, <coughs> actually ended up being a Kalara teacher as well for my kids, which is quite bizarre. But anyway, um, he used to sing um, this song every now and then. Um, he said, oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. And he, he, he seemed to really identify with that song for some reason. Um, humility is one of those qualities that we love to see in other people, don't we? We love it when we see a leader who has is, who is, um, demonstrated humility, maybe somebody at your workplace um, or, or somebody else. You see them with great quality. They stand out the front. They've done something wonderful, but they're, they're incredibly humble with it. It's one of the things I think people love about people like Roger Federer and um, Rafael Nadal. They're very humble in the way that they um, uh, conduct themselves. Um, but it's not the kind of thing we really love for ourselves. Um, the, because the whole idea of humble, being humble, humility, um, it has a sense of weakness about it. 
um, that if I'm humble, it, it, it's, it's, it says that I, maybe it says something about me having low self-esteem or make, I, I put myself out there so I can be a bit of a doormat. People might exploit me. If I humble myself or if I act with humility, it puts me in danger because people might make the most, make, might use that for themselves. But of course, the Bible's picture of humility is not like that. The Bible's picture of humility is not about low, low self-esteem or about groveling or losing our um, identity as a, as a person or denying the gifts God's given us. True humility recognises our worth, recognises the things that we can do, but also seeks to use whatever power we have um, for the good of others. So humility, if you like, is putting aside our own benefit and seeking to use um, whatever power we have to serve and care for others. And that's the quality that Peter's uh, actually calls on all of us to, to bring about, uh, to see in our lives. So if you see there in chapter f- um, 5, verse 5, um, second half of it, he says, All of you, clothe yourself with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. He's calling on all Christians here to be humble. Now, I don't know about you, but not all people find it easy to be humble. Um, our, my mathematics teacher is one of those. Um, and so he actually picks on two groups of people that probably find it the hardest of all to be humble. And uh, it's a bit poignant for me because I'm a member of both groups. Um, one of them is leaders and the, others, the other is young men. Settle. <laughs> there, are two, there are two groups of people he, he picks on as people who really need to be, uh, I guess, spoken to about humility. Um, but of course, it's something he wants for all of us. So first of all, he, um, he, thinks, he talks to leaders. Now, in our world at the moment, you may be able to think of some political leaders maybe for whom humility is not really their strongest, um, they're not really their strongest quality, is it? Um, and, but that's always been that way. It's not something that's, that's new to um, the president or, or whatever. Um, it's, it's something that's always been the case. You think back to um, people like Adolf Hitler. He was a great leader in many ways, but he wasn't, you wouldn't call him humble. Um, even Churchill, again, was a great leader. I don't know if you'd call him a humble man. Um, Napoleon, people like that. These are great leaders of people, um, but they're not necessarily humble. And, and even in our culture... Um, leadership, when people talk about leadership, humility is not one of the first qualities they, they talk about. They often talk about innovation or inspiration um, or, or, or the, the ability to, to think on your feet, those kinds of things, to inspire people. Um, but in the Bible, one of the, the key characteristics of leadership is humility. Um, I guess it's not too surprising because um, the Christian faith um, looks back to Jesus, of course, doesn't it? Now, Peter is one of the, one of the disciples who spent his time with Jesus, um, spent three years with Jesus, following him around, listening to him, and he would have seen the way he acted. He acted with humility. Remember his last night, kneeling down and, and washing his disciples' feet. What an incredibly humble act. But then he also would have heard the things that Jesus said. Um, the Son of Man did not come to, to serve, but to, to be served, but to serve. And give his life as a ransom for others. Um, Jesus' life was about service. It was about humility. Um, And he would have heard Jesus say things like this. Um, 
<coughs> whoever wants to be great among you must be the servant of all. And so it's no surprise that really when you talk about leadership in the New Testament, one of the qualities that comes up is the whole idea of um, humility. Our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, says Paul in Philippians chapter 2, who did not grasp hold of his place under God but gave it up, taking the very nature of a servant. That's what our Saviour is like and that is what we are to be like. And so the image that Peter uses to describe a leader is not the kind of image that we that might be used today. Uh, again, we would use pictures of a warrior or of a, or of a thinker, um, of, a, of an, ins- an inspiration. But Peter uses the example of the shepherd. A shepherd is a very lowly kind of picture. I guess he's got it, again, from Jesus. You know, I remember Jesus' kind of last words to Peter were, Peter, feed my sheep. Um, Peter, Jesus had given Peter that idea, that, that job of being a shepherd. Now Peter passed that on to the leaders in the, in the churches. And a shepherd is not, as I say, a, a lofty role. It's a, it's a humble role. And so therefore, leaders in the church should have that humility. Let's have a, let's have a read of the kind of qualities that they should, they should develop. Verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So he sets up some whole lot of comparisons there. He says, first of all, serve willingly. It's, ministry is about service. It's not about being honoured. It's not about um, getting the glory. A shepherd's life can be a tough one, having to muck out the sheep pens, um, finding appropriate food, protecting them from wild animals. And a Christian minister's um, job can be pretty similar. Mucking out the, the, <laughs> mucking out the pens, cleaning, cleaning the toilets, that kind of thing. But also making sure people are spiritually fed, um, making sure they're protected from the, from the lions that might want to devour them, as we'll see in a, little, in a moment. Maybe chasing after those who have wandered off. Um, with all those difficulties, Christian ministry can, can be seen to be a burden. And particularly you see that in people who have been in, in different ministries for a while, that they can, they can get burned out. And I'm not just talking about pastors here, but it's all those involved in Christian ministry. Um, it can be something that you, you end up just doing because you feel like you have to do. You've got to go, you go through the motions. But Peter says, no, that's not what we should be like. Um, we need to give of ourselves. It needs to be a willing gift. Um, that we give for the good of the other. We use our gifts not for ourselves, but for the good of others. Again, it's a very humble picture, isn't it? Not using my power for myself, but for others. And, and not seeing the, the ministry as something that, that's there to serve me. So in verse three, three, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Um, not wanting for people to, to meet my needs so much as to be there for other people's needs. Um, and therefore, of course, not lording it over others. Um, one of the problems that's, that's apparent, become apparent in recent years in the diocese um, is the exact opposite of this, um, the whole issue of bullying um, in, within churches, people in leadership positions using their power to get what they want from others, to push people around. Peter says that nothing like that should ever happen in God's church. 
um, a Christian leader is someone who doesn't lord it over others, but other, but instead serves them. That lives a good, a godly example. It's interesting in one and two Timothy and in Titus, when when Paul talks about leadership qualities, he doesn't talk about those modern things of uh, innovation and and. Uh, imagination, those kind of things. He talks about godliness. He talks about patience. He talks about forgiveness. He talks about humility. These are the kinds of qualities that a true godly Christian leader should have. And they all come from the idea of humility. Not seeing myself as better than others, but in fact putting my own needs and desires aside to serve others. For those who are able to do that, he says, a crown of glory awaits them. Not the crown of glory that you get from becoming promoted to be an archbishop or something, but the crown of glory that Christ has to give. Um, the crown of glory um, that Christ will give to all when he returns. And so it's worth stopping at this point, I think, just to consider those in our church who are in leadership positions. This is not just about me. It is about me. Um, but there are others in our church who are involved in leadership positions. Um, obviously there's David and Sean and Heather um, but there's also our wardens our parish council our Bible study leaders or growth group leaders our youth group leaders um, our kids club leaders um, our scripture teachers are all in positions of leadership and if, if that's and as I look around there's many of you here um, we have people at the serving ministry at the front they're in position of lead, they're leading the congregation how do our musicians lead the church? Well, it's the same kind of qualities that are needed. This, this whole idea of humility, not trying to push yourself forward or doing it for your own gain, but doing it for the good of others. So leaders should act humbly, but it's not just leaders, all others do. So he picks on the young men in verse 5, but it, it's, he doesn't just want to spend much time on them because it's actually everyone he's talking to. He says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Because I know young people find that hard because they know all the answers. Um, but he, he says, all of you, clothe yourself, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. All of us need to submit ourselves to each other. He's talking about the opposite of pride, pushing yourself forward and wanting people to, to give you glory, uh, but being prepared to give of yourself for the good of others. Um, hello, Fly. Um, <coughs> we are, and we are to humble ourselves, of course, before God, recognising that we can't do it all, which is hard for us, isn't it? Um, I know that as I was growing up, you, I used to watch things like Sesame Street. And Sesame Street when I, used to teach me that I was, um, very important lessons, apart from the, the letters and numbers, that, that, that I can do what I want to do. I, 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 if I believe in myself and I, and I work hard enough, then, then I can do what I want. It's all about me. Everything is under my power to do. And some of you have been, uh, been raised in the culture of, um, you know, you, do, you look after yourself. Don't be a burden on other people. Don't rely on other people. Be a self-made man. Be a self-made woman. Um, don't call on other people for help um, because that's, that's not what you should be doing. You should be able to look after yourself. That's what we've been brought up to think, or I've been brought up to think. Um, 
but actually the, the idea of humility is very different. It's actually recognising that we can't do everything. I can't do everything on my own. I actually need others and I need God. That's what it means to be humble, to recognise that, that I can't do everything. It's the kind of thing I reckon that Peter learned that night in the Sea of Galilee. Remember in Matthew 12, Matthew 14, sorry. Jesus comes walking out to the disciples on the water. They're out in the boat and he's walking out to them um, over the water, which is pretty amazing. And they're all a bit initially shocked. But then Peter, <coughs> you know, bold as brass, jumps out <coughs> and starts walking towards Jesus. Um, and everything's going fine for a while. I was going to say it's going swimmingly, but he wasn't going swimmingly. He's going walkingly. Everything was going walkingly for a while. Uh, but then he, he looks around and he sees the waves and he starts to think, hang on a minute, I can't do this. Um, I haven't got, I, I can't walk on water. And so he starts to worry, he starts to fall. But in his anxiety, Jesus is there and lifts him up. And so I guess it's no surprise that Peter then says to us, cast all your anxiety on him. Uh, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up. In due time, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We need to be humble before God to admit that we need his help. And can I say, that can be hard for those of us, particularly who are older. It's really hard. I love the older people in our church. They're such wonderful people uh, in so many ways. But I, know, I do know that as you get older, you can get stubborn. <laughs> it won't happen to me, I know. <coughs> and... Um, again, if you're brought up in that kind of culture that says you shouldn't, you always look after yourself, you can get this idea that it's actually wrong to, to ask for help. And so we've had the experience, example here in church where um, people just suddenly disappear and we know nothing about where they're at or what's happening. We find out suddenly that they've been moved to a, a nursing home or something um, and we've been none the wiser because they haven't actually ever asked for help. And I don't know if it's that desire to be self-sufficient or if it's just pride. Um, and so I would encourage you to think whether this idea of humility is, is something that's characteristic of your life. Are you able to help ask for help from God or from other people? Do you realise that you can't do everything? And you shouldn't. God has given us each other, and we actually need each other. We need to learn what it means to be humble towards each other and humble towards God. God lifts up the humble. <coughs> and he calls us to be people of humility. So yes, we're called to be humble when we come face to face to God, with God um, and face to face with each other. But that's not when he advocates when we come face to face with the devil and his plots. Peter in, uh, instead calls us to, be, to boldly stand firm. And so in verse 8, the tone changes because um, he's now talking about a different situation. He's been talking about um, the people in church and the way they relate to each other and the way they relate to God. But then in verse 8 he says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. The devil is real. He doesn't have a red jumpsuit and, a, and horns and a, and a pitchfork. 
but he is real. And he is wanting to, in Peter's words, devour Christians. What does that mean? He's not wanting to eat our flesh like some kind of zombie movie. He's actually wanting to um, devour us spiritually, to take us away from God. And how does he do that? Well, he devours us with temptation. He devours us with doubts. He devours us with busyness. He devours us with false teaching. There's all sorts of tools that the devil might use. And how do we stand firm against him, knowing that he's there, knowing that he will do these things? We need to prepare ourselves so that we can resist those things. So if we know that the devil is going to try and attack us with temptation, we need to be ready to address that temptation. So um, if you know, for instance, that alcohol is a problem for you, um, that the devil might tempt you um, to drink too much when you go out with, pe- with people, um, then maybe volunteer to be the designated driver or something or, um, or have a friend who will, who will encourage you or remind you, you know, three drinks and that's it, who will give you the strength to be able to do that. Maybe if your, your temptation is on the computer, um, being tempted to, to look at websites you shouldn't be looking at, um, then perhaps getting some kind of accountability software um, or connecting with others who will be able to keep you accountable. Um, if gossip is your thing, um, the temptation the devil will throw at you. Um, then what will you do? Think in advance. What will you do with those when the subject of gossip comes up around the the, um, the water cooler or over over the lunch table? Um, how will you change the subject? How about go about changing the subject? If the devil's going to devour you with doubts, what will you do about that? I've ex- been experienced the interesting phenomenon of the last couple of weeks um, with some of the young people I've been speaking with. Some of them, um, they've kind of grown up and they, they know about God and well, they've, they've grown up in, a, in the church and one of the, as they've grown, when doubts have come in their minds, they've kind of thought, well, it's, it's not right to doubt God because doubt is kind of the opposite of faith, right? Um, and so whenever a doubt comes up, you need to shove it under the carpet. You need to shove it away there because, and just ignore it because um, a, a true believer, a true Christian is a person of faith. They just believe no matter what no matter what the doubt is. The problem with that, of course, is that it's very superficial and it doesn't, um, it doesn't solve the problem because doubts will linger. And so the experience I've had is that people who have, they've, these doubts have kind of built up over the years and then suddenly they find it hard to believe anything because they haven't addressed any of the doubts they've done. So what should we do when the devil attacks us with doubt? Well, one of the things that we need to do is we need to do what Jesus did. Uh, when Jesus is tempted in the desert by the devil, he says, are you really the son of God? Did God really say these things? He's trying to cause Jesus to doubt. Well, Jesus goes to the one place that will quell his doubts. He goes to God's word. And as he goes to God's word, as he, as he, as he reads, remembers, and inwardly digests God's word, it gives him the strength um, to continue through doubt. And to, to protect him against false teaching, protect ourselves against false teaching. Again, there's a there's a disturbing trend in some in some Christian circles, I think, to see the Bible as a bit like a, um, a smorgasbord. Smorgasbord. I was watching Borg vs. McEnroe last night, and so I've got smorgasbord in my mind. Um, <coughs> a smorgasbord um, that you can just kind of go. I'm going to pick a little bit here, and I'll pick a little bit there. I feel like a prawn today, or I feel like a whatever it might be. 
And, and so people treat the Bible a bit like that. And so there are things you can get on your phone, apps that can send you the Bible verse for the day, which are lovely, aren't they? Um, and we can treat the Bible very devotionally, that it's, it's, um, it's just a kind of thing we go there, we, we get a, kind of our inspirational thought for the day, and then we go forward. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things. It's actually really quite good to, to, to get an inspiring verse for the day. But if that's all we're, the only place we go with God's Word, it's a very superficial understanding, isn't it? And so when we get come into conflicts or parts of the Bible are hard to understand, we, we can get lost and, and the doubts can overtake, overwhelm us. So it's not just important for us to taste God's word, to, to dabble in God's word, um, uh, or even just to devotionally kind of look at God's word, you know, a verse here and there. But sometimes we actually need to study God's word. We need to meditate on God's word. Um, we actually need to really grapple with the hard questions. If you have questions of doubt, let me encourage you to grapple with them, to open God's word and to see what the Bible has to say about it. Not just a verse here or there, but what does the whole Bible have to say? That's why it's always a helpful thing to do something like PTC. One of the things we're encouraging the Zambian pastors to do uh, is to grapple with PTC. So it's not, again, it's not just a verse they can grab out of context. Um, because if you're only dabbling in God's word, um, you, you're going to come a cropper when, when difficulties come. You're not going to be able to recognise false teaching. Um, so if we're going to stand firm, if we're going to resist the devil, um, we need to prepare ourselves. And the Bible promises that when we do that, God will help us. In James 4 verse 7, he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Peter says the same thing here. If we resist the devil as all people, Christians across the world are doing, <coughs> verse 10 he says, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Our power will come from God itself, as God himself. As we prepare ourselves, God won't abandon us or leave us on our own he will be there for us and help us to stand firm, help us to continue on, help us to resist the devil. Yes, the devil is some kind of spiritual being that in many ways is more powerful than us, but of course he's not more powerful than us because we have God on our side. God is our strength and he will help us to stand. So there are two qualities that Peter um, wants to to bring to, before us this morning, I think, um, and they're really important qualities for Christian life. And I hope that they're things that, are, that you, you see develop in your life. First one is humility. Are you a person who is humble, who recognises your need of God and of others, and that is prepared to put your own needs, your own desires aside, and instead to serve others? Are you someone who's prepared to serve others in humility? Is humility one of your qualities? But also is boldness one of your qualities? Is courage? Stand firm, Peter says. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. God will carry you through. And that's really what this book is about. In verse 12, um, he reminds them. He says, with the help of Silas, um, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, 
encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. He's talking about the fact that God will carry them. That's God's grace. He will lift you and carry you through to, to, uh, until he returns. He will keep you strong. The eternal glory, he will bring you. That's God's grace. But there's also the, the command to stand fast in it. So God has given us great things. God has cared for us uh, mightily. But he then calls on us to, do, to play our part, to be humble when we relate to one another and to him, but also to stand firm in our faith that we might glorify him. Let me pray. <coughs> Dear Lord God, we thank you that you are a God of grace. You give us all things. We thank you for your word where you encourage and remind us of your faithfulness. Father, we pray that you would continue to do that. Um, we pray that you would continue to uplift us in your word. And Father, as we, as we think about today's passages, we pray that you would change us. Please change us to be people of humility who aren't seeking our own uh, good, but, uh, but, but also aren't rec- think, feeling that we can achieve things on our own, that recognise that we need you and that we need others. Father, I pray that you would help us to give of ourselves in service of each other. We pray for the leaders in our church. We thank you for the many godly leaders that we have in our church. We pray, Lord, that that, that they may continue to work in humility, in service. We thank you for the evidence there is of that. We pray that that may continue. And, Lord, finally, we pray that you would protect us. Protect us from the evil one. Uh, Lord, we can't defeat him without you. But, Lord, thankfully we have you. And so we commit ourselves into your care um, until the day when Christ returns. Amen.